0: I need sports to have to clear the
1: room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRigger.com, and joining me in the studio, good day, mate, it's Andy Greenwald!
0: I just want to say, when the history books are written, they will know that this podcast was against Australia first. Yeah, I'll never,
1: because there's not going to be any history books written.
0: That's true. <laughs> know your enemies, though, man, and... What have, they ever, what have they ever done for us?
1: Andy, welcome to The Watch. Re-up episode. It's Thursday. It's a beautiful day in Los Angeles. couple of uh, housekeeping things before we hmm. get going. Make sure you share the podcast, listener. Oh. It's a, it's a social and viral kind of thing.
0: Share the listener or the podcast? No,
1: share share the podcast, comma, listener. Oh, there was so a comma in there. It would be great if you guys tell a friend, share the podcast, follow The Watch at The Watch Pod on Twitter. Uh, we post the watch list there twice a week so that you guys can know mm-hmm. what we're going to be talking about. Um, today we are talking about The Crown,
0: mm-hmm. Riverdale. Yes.
1: And, of course, Taboo. Letter of from course. Taboo Island is coming. Um, we if have a special guest coming, too. Yeah, we have a special guest, Alison Herman. The TV critic from The Ringer is going to come. She's going to do a segment from time to time on The Watch now called What Did We Miss? Mm-hmm. Which is about the shows that Andy and I are not paying enough attention to. Um, and if you want to join our book club... You really can't. There's no membership. But you can read along with us. Uh, We are currently reading Zoo Station by David Downing. You Mm -hmm. can look for that on uh, your favorite bookseller's shelves. Uh, And we will be following up with that in late February, early March. We'll talk about that uh, book. It's the first book in his John Russell series. It's about uh, sort of an espionage tale set in 1939 Berlin.
0: It has a great backdrop of creeping fascism that I think our readers will really enjoy.
1: Huh. Okay. Well, first let's do who won the week. Okay, man. Uh, I have a good one this week. Yeah. Because there's a little bit of uh, a tug of war going, right? Mm -hmm. It's not obvious who won the week. Mm -mm. But this week, there's two interesting movie stories that came out that are like two sides of how to be a movie star in 2017. Okay? Okay. So I wrote this thing about Colin Farrell the other day because Colin Farrell has signed up now to do Inner City, which Mm -hmm. is the new Dan Gilroy movie, Dan Gilroy of Nightcrawler.
0: Brother of?
1: Brother of Tony Gilroy. Yeah. Uh, it's a Denzel Washington legal thriller, where Mm -hmm. Denzel plays a, quote, awkward legal researcher who is wooed to join-
0: I'm sorry, Denzel plays an awkward legal researcher? Yeah, he he plays the shrinking violet. This man is like 60 years old. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's the funniest thing about this. He is a titan of the industry, and the most charismatic screen actor in 30 years. Did you see the Pellegrin brief, man? Come on. (laughs) Were they just gonna put some
1: poindexter glasses on him? Yeah, I know. Seriously, I'm sure he'll have an awkward haircut. Um- Colin Farrell plays a slick big firm lawyer yes. who woos Denzel yes. to come to his firm where Denzel uncovers something. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. So, Colin Farrell's got 3 movies coming out this year. He's going to be in in this this inner city movie. Mm-hmm. He's going to be in the Beguiled, which sounds silly, but is a Sofia Coppola movie, which probably means it is silly. It is silly, uh, and but it's prestigious. You know, it's a good, yeah, sure. it's a good choice. And he's also going to be the, in the Killing of a Sacred Deer, yes, from your boy, your boy who directed the Lobster,
0: Yorgis!
1: and um, so that's three really like top notch choices. And this is what happens. I wrote about this the other day. This is what happens when you don't have to worry about having the whole world in your hands. And you're just like, I'm famous enough to make my choices, but the choices I can make are always interesting because I don't have to have like a Johnny Depp GDP of a small island nation
0: going. You you don't need to shoot anyone's ashes out of any cannons. Yeah. uh, Unless you want to. Right. Which is fine. Look, when the books are written, postscript they won't be, (laughs) the body of work that I'm most interested in compiling is our just... The bibliography of us writing about Colin Farrell. Yeah, who is one of our favorite actors, who has a permanent place on the wall. Yeah, uh, who is always interesting, even when the movies around him are not. Yes, and he does seem to be in a good place. And you know, I spoke to him last year, and he was exactly what we wanted him to be in person. Devastatingly handsome, very clever, but also seemed to have a very healthy perspective about where he is in his life and in his work. Yeah, basically. And I think that you're seeing that reflected in the choices he's making. And I'm thrilled.
1: Basically, that since have named Brugge, him winner of the week, he has been one of our most consistently like rewarding actors. So since in Brugi made like a couple of bad, like, in you know, Total Recall reboot Fright aside. Knight. I I actually liked Fright Night. Did you see that? No, it was really entertaining.
0: Really, yeah. Were you a um, fan of the original Fright Night? No. I you know how I feel about horror movies that's sort of where I that's where I tapped it, out that's
1: where because it was too scary or because it was that was the it. last horror and movie I was like, liked
0: I'm good that was like the last time there was a sleepover and I had no choice over the VHS tape that was being watched yeah
1: right <laughs> um,
0: that, that, that's a reference that'll just share that with your friends listeners uh, yeah
1: um, the other side of this coin though is Ben
0: Affleck right mm. who seems to be a prisoner. <laughs> to be clear, a forty-year-old white man won yeah. the week. Yeah, they, yeah. I mean, it's America in twenty seventeen. But Ben Affleck seems
1: to be a prisoner in a jail of his own making.
0: Mm. You know, uh, that sounds like a Yorgos movie title.
1: And that jail is Arkham Asylum, I guess. Like, yeah. I don't know, but he is kind of stuck in this place where "Live by Night," a book we both liked quite a bit. You loved it, uh, Dennis. loved that novel. Book. Yeah. He adapted it. Um, it was supposed to be kind of this awards bait, prestigious, amazing gangster drama. Uh, was. Pretty largely critically ignored or mm-hmm. like just kind of like brushed aside and bombed at the box office. Office, and I saw something like last week where it said that it may have lost Warner Brothers upwards of seventy five million dollars, yes. which to Warner Brothers is actually a pretty good day at the office. <laughs> but um, when it comes to like Ben Affleck movies, wow, shots at Burbank. Okay, but you know, I, I think that he's now in a situation where. He, you know, now he he has gone from being like the guy to the town and Argo, and he's mm-hmm. you know the new Batman, and it's going up and up and up, and then Batman versus Superman happens, and now yeah. he's got Live by Night, and now he's recently this week just announced that he will not be directing the Batman.
0: Right, right. Um, he will be starring in it.
1: Yes, I think that that's a good move for him. I think that when you're losing, sometimes it's good to just like take yourself out of the game a little bit, and I don't know that he can. Remove himself from the DC Comics movie universe, right? But he is slowly Look, sh- backing out of the helicopter.
0: It's. It, I think this is very fascinating to watch as well. I, I think you know. I think listeners know that I have long been a an adherent of the Prestige theory of Ben Affleck. Much like the film The Prestige, there are two versions of Ben Affleck, and each one takes over for roughly six to eight year periods. So, Goodwill Hunting uh, was the good Affleck, and then we get the the Gili. Yeah. Um, uh, Benifer stuff bad Affleck then all of a sudden good Affleck again with the town in Argo and then as soon as he put on that cowl bad Affleck right um, that said it's, it, it is sort of interesting the idea of someone who just keeps finding different cages to lock themselves in because the thing that everyone praised about Affleck as he sort of stepped back from being this not really compelling paycheck cashing movie star didn't he have a movie called Paycheck mm-hmm. I mean that's kind of incredible um <laughs> into being an auteur filmmaker was people saying, okay, well, he, he had been placed in a box that he didn't fit in. He was not, he didn't want to be a action hero leading man. He is actually more of an interesting artist, and so he's making these movies. But then he put himself in a box of being this prestige filmmaker guy in an era where the prestige films that you make for a Warner Brothers basically have the same bottom line and numbers that have to be run against it as a superhero movie. Yes. So he didn't make Live By Night as a small piece like he did Gone Baby Gone. He starred in it, which was absurd because the character is 20 years old in the book. He, you know, because he starred in it and directed it, the budget ballooned. He did everything on location. He cast bigger stars. And then it loses tons of money. That's not a movie that's going to make back $100 million unless it's The Godfather Part 2, and apparently it was not. He doesn't need to be in these cages, man. No. Free him. I know. Free free yourself, Ben Affleck. So I don't think that the Affleck
1: not directing Batman is a bad idea for Batman to the extent that that matters to me. Um, I actually think that what... Batman as a like, franchise could probably use and what all those DC movies could use is something like Winter Soldier that's a little bit more compact. I mean, I think even Winter Soldier was like two plus hours so and like long. so long and it had stuff crashing into the Pentagon, but yeah. like it still like had like a basically like a little bit more of a straightforward premise, I think.
0: Well, I, I, the, the the thought that I, the vibe that I got from it, or at least this is what the, the when the Affleck brand still meant prestige <laughs> six months ago or whatever, uh, th- I thought that he, you know him writing and directing a standalone Batman movie. They were going to try to do something with DC that they weren't doing in Marvel. That this movie did not have to be just more connective tissue for the next yeah. big one. Yeah, he was going to do a sort of a side artier thing, whatever. <laughs> My guess is. A, he doesn't want to do that. B, no one wants him to do that because they want the movie to be connective tissue. Sure. You know, they want it to be just another chapter in the continuing adventures of whatever version also, of the Also, I think that
1: there is there's an issue with they're going to try, I think that with Justice League, they're probably going to try and pivot towards a more like winky, tongue-in-cheek, pop art kind of thing. Not yeah. fully, but like I think that they will try and make it lighter. I, the trailer for that movie is very much like Ocean's Eleven meets yeah, superheroes.
0: I, well, I talked to. I did an event where I spoke to Jeff Johns, mm-hmm. who is a comic book writer, very good guy, but also now the sort of the um, the Kevin Feige almost of DC. He's the head of DC Entertainment, so he is really running the ship over there for the most part. And he very politely, very politically, acknowledged that maybe there had been some miscues in terms of tone, and he said to watch Wonder Woman. Like that's the pivot. Yeah. He thinks that they. He said it wasn't a big pivot, but he basically had this analogy where he was just like, if you're thirty deg- 30 degrees off of something, it doesn't sound like a lot, but if you're thirty degrees off of like the moon landing, <laughs> you are <laughs> in fucking outer space yeah. for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, so if you've p-
1: got Scoot McNary in a in a wheelchair and Holly Hunter being like really seriously talking yeah. to Superman at yeah. a Senate hearing yeah then maybe maybe you're in outer space <laughs> yeah. and you need to read re- yeah. it
0: back in so you uh, of course I should say that he wrote Wonder Woman so but so he obviously thinks it's going to be pretty good yeah. but it, it that's going to be an interesting interesting tweak but what's next for, what's next for Affleck I mean so I, I think that we were saying we've gotten off track here Colin Farrell Potentially won the week for making very consistently good choices. Well, of what I'm what saying to be is, in. he stopped Affleck-
1: caring. He made it, it, you, you do Alexander because you want to be the mo- biggest movie star in the world. You think you're going to be some combination of. Um, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger and and Peter O'Toole by doing our Ar- Arno- Alexander s- s- sidebar. Right?
0: A friend and writer who I admire a lot says that the extended international trailer for Alexander is the best American film made in the last twenty years. <laughs>
1: what? Just the trailer? Just some guy you met
0: at Intelligence? Wait, one, one of my co-writers on Legion. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that should inform your opinion about the show.
1: Oh, and um. He you know he does that he's pretty much in movie jail and he slowly works his way back through starting with in Bruges into being like not only a leading man but a very interesting character actor character, at the same yeah. time. I don't think Affleck has ever given himself that break, right? Like he's never just been like, "You know what? Like maybe I can't hold the hold the wheel so tight and I can go do interesting stuff here and there and rebuild it organically." It's been you know, and I think maybe, yeah, you would say, like, the town was that, but the well, town was still this incredible act of, like, Orson Wellesian, no, like, i No,
0: Gone Baby Gone was the pivot, because yeah, he wasn't in it. That's he true. G- he gave the part to his brother. He's he, he stepped Casey back. Casey
1: Affleck's always getting gifts.
0: I know. I mean, talk about, talk about <laughs> privilege, Chris. Yeah, seriously. But it worked out. Okay,
1: so we're saying, basically, the Colin Farrell won the week, but Ben Affleck might have sort of secondarily won the week by losing the week.
0: I think it's interesting, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Farrell stepped into things. Affleck stepped out of things.
1: Okay, let's mm. take a uh, let's take a trip to Taboo Island. Dear Andy, God. I only have a brief moment to write you this week because only one thing worth noting happened <laughs> on yep. Taboo Island this okay. week, and that was the arrival of the five foot four dynamo, the Mugsy Bogues of British character actors, Stop. Tom Hollander. What? Tom Hardy needs gunpowder for some reason. I I'm not tot- totes sure why. Here's <laughs>
0: sidebar. That <laughs> sentence is true IRL. Yeah, I know. I I just nodded. I, I completely <laughs> believe. Tom you. Hardy
1: still needs gunpowder. Yeah. He's just like, do you have gunpowder? But you mean James
0: Kaziah Delaney needs gunpowder? Yeah, power and it's in a time
1: of war. Mm. Two wars actually are going on. I think, and uh, he needs, but he still needs gunpowder. But when. It's a time of where the the crown controls the production and sale of gunpowder. Does he just
0: need just like a little bit nah, just to get him like through a, the night? He needs, a, a, he needs like a lot. Just a taste?
1: He needs like a lot. Oh, word. He needs a brick. So he goes and sees this chemist, mm-hmm. man, and it's Tom Hollander. Just, just mixing up the medicine. Who is doing like parlor tricks for housewives. He's like, check out. Like if you put this in a beaker and heat it up, it blows yeah. up and people are like, I want to sleep with you. <laughs>
0: First of all, that shit
1: (laughs) always works. He looks like uh, Johnny Depp in Alice in Wonderland, but people are like, you're a rock star. I need to be a part of this. Um, Tom Hardy's character interrupts Tom Hollander mid-coitus. And I shit you not, Tom Hollander gives a speech about how when semen isn't released, yeah. it becomes poison inside
0: of a man. <laughs> Yo, word, is that true? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. I really don't. <laughs> so, does Tom Hardy, like, you know, grant him his release? He goes, he, he
1: says, you can feel free to
0: release. He says release? Yeah, just
1: the two of them are standing there. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, the point is, is that Tom Hollander is like, I can make gunpowder out of pigeon shit and human urine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> This, so... Yeah. Also, there's some psychic incest. So, this show is basically like Mythbusters, but with yeah, cats. Yeah,
1: right, right. That's cool. And uh, also, Tom Hollander is a laughing gas dealer. He goes to, like, um, like eyes wide shut parties. Yeah. And gets... The laughing gas in 1814 must have been, like, way different than Whippets in 1995. <laughs> yeah. Because... People are getting pretty out, like, it's like ketamine or something. People are pretty unhinged from social mores. Listen,
0: I I just want to say, I'm not Mr. Helium Tank, (laughs) but I did go see the Rolling Stones Voodoo Lounge Tour at Veterans Stadium in, like, 1993 or 4. And my my boy Mike, my high school pal, definitely took a pull off a big, big balloon and just went ass over tea kettle into a puddle. In the, at veterans, the vet? At the vet? Were the you like? Lot. What do you
1: mean? Like in the concourse or in the parking lot? No, no, no! In
0: the parking lot. The some... vet
1: was steep, man. You wouldn't want to like tumble. No, you don't want to do that.
0: <laughs> but like, this
1: next thing you know, you're landing on Charlie this Watts. Feels Tom. It like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> feels like I'm telling you my own letter from Taboo Island. It's, <laughs> it's like good. a dark world. This of is veteran's what Taboo stadium. Island
1: is about. It's about sharing.
0: Like. What kind of a world did our parents leave us in where I'm like, I'm going to go to a concert of one of your rock and roll acts, mom and dad, but there are going to be men in this the is parking lot. it wasn't Bridges to Babylon? With balloons. No, that was during college. With big balloons being like, take a pull of this, young lad. <laughs> like, by the way, semen is poisoning your body. <laughs> <laughs> high, school was, high school was a time. How's Mike now? You know, funny story, untraceable. <laughs> yeah, right. No joke. The one person from high school that is like he's he has an ungoogleable name, really. But he was also just like he's he's vanished. Okay, all right. Well, he, he may well be the last nitrous dealer. Uh, on yeah. The so coast. I have no
1: other. Uh, just a couple of post notes. Just mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Hollander. Yeah. Uh, psychic incest mm-hmm. and Tom Hardy cuts a dude in half.
0: Oh, well, bury the lead. <laughs> yeah. So you're you love it, Life on that Island, right now?
1: Taboo huh? is incredible. It's incredible television. Um. Let's talk about more incredible television. <laughs> Let's talk more about Whippets. Um, the Crown. Mm-hmm. We didn't watch this when it first came out. No. Um, why don't you take the conch
0: here? <laughs> uh, yeah, The Crown, very popular. Does what... Here's the Let's thing. So, not, let, we don't want to be condescending about no. it. No. Uh, not for me. Not, not for me. You. I mean, I watched, I watched the first episode, and here's the thing. It is... Expertly made. Mm-hmm. Boy, did they spend a lot of money on Peter it. Boy, Morgan. Boy, does it look good. Yeah. Boy, is like the, the the details, the performances, the actors they got. Every frame of it is is considered. It's lovely. It's it's. Uh, it's What's it's, Philip's it's, name? It's put together, uh, Philip Mountbatten. Yeah, lieutenant. That's still his name. Yeah. Is it's, he still around? Yeah.
1: What? Yes. Was he like, like a thousand alert. years old now? <laughs>
0: Elizabeth is still the queen. Did you know that? Oh, that's her! Yo, that's her! Oh my God! Really? Wait, I can't tell if you're being serious <laughs> I'm not or not. Not being completely serious. <laughs> that,
1: that's, that's the queen, dog. Oh man! Do you, <laughs> <did> you think... <laughs> really? Are you so re- she can watch the crown are and you, be like, "That's me." First of all,
0: are you reverse Frederick Douglassing?
1: <laughs> no, Queen I mean, Elizabeth. Completely serious.
0: For, I like the idea that she's like firing up her Apple TV in Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Yo, that's still the queen. Elizabeth's
1: like. Get me the Roku! She seriously, like,
0: (laughs) she had some issues with the five movements in the OA. She thought it was a little silly. But at the same time, yeah, dog, I thought you were like half English. I mean, yeah. That's your monarch. (laughs) Respect her. (laughs) Do you know that those kids are. That's Prince Charles. I got that
1: part. I figured that part out. I was yeah. like, because they kept, like, hammering home. He's like, don't walk up there, Charles. Did you know that
0: kingdom is England?
1: Yeah. No, hey, I got, it. It, I got it. I got it. I got it. Is. I feel like this is, like, that time when Bill Simmons was like, when does Game of Thrones take place?
0: <laughs> 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 I thought we were never going to speak of that.
1: I like, God bless him. But I think that's, he did say that, right?
0: On this podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, like, the, the time when there were dragons. And he's like, 17th century? <laughs> yeah. Um, y- yes. Oh, so, we're
1: talking circa taboo then. So, this is, yeah, it's
0: taboo era. <laughs> yeah. Taboo adjace. So, do, so now, do you like the
1: show more? That I know it's real? Yeah. I mean, I knew it was real.
0: I know it's real. You just thought it was the driest fiction ever. No, to... no, 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 no. No, because I know that Winston Churchill. Was a, was a dude? Yeah. Was a real dude?
1: He got uh, Lithgow's playing him.
0: That's right. Look, uh, we're beating around the bush, or learning things as we go. I... I, I f- it's tough to separate two things like when we've talked to people like when we had Sam Esmail on he talked about watching The Crown like this show is for some people who love this and so I do not want to to speak down about it or put it down because like our colleague Amanda Dobbins like loves the show because she loves these types of stories she loves period pieces she loves stories about royalty this is what this is
1: no I know what I was going to say is that this is actually one of my favorite parts about like the amount of television that we have and the amount of money that's being pumped into it is that If you're um, into something like if you're into like the culture surrounding the royals throughout the 20th century or whatever, it's amazing that now you can watch a television show that is literally like wish fulfillment in terms of wanting to visualize all this stuff that you might be really interested in that you've read about before. I, I mean, we feel that way about I'm not even I don't even think that they have since the BBC version of Tinker Tailor truly, like, captured Lacare, Right. I, I, but the fact that they keep making them and that we keep getting, like, a most wanted man and our kind of trader and night manager and, you know, all, and more to come is just, like, it's so incredible. I don't expect anyone... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's really cool to see that happen. I,
0: I guess that comment should hang over my next comment, which is that it, on some level, it bums me out that, that they spent $100 million on the crown because I just, for me... For me, I'll use I statements as I was saying. We literally in my spent college.
1: like 10 minutes being like, let's
0: let's what's, what's the state of Batman? I just <laughs> don't know what Well, I don't think they should spend more money on Batman either, <laughs> yeah, frankly. True. Like why do we need to tell these stories, like of all the stories to be told about the 20th century, or about or about England in 1947, or anything about this? I don't care about the richest people in the room, the most famous people in the world. I, I just don't. It's not that interesting to me. And like okay, I'm, Bernie. Real, I'm just saying, I'm real sorry. <laughs> That, that, that Lane Price had a little, 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 little speck of crimson in his handkerchief. You know what I mean? Like, first of all, Peter Morgan, like, you know, I'm going to let you finish. But come on, man. Come on, man. Like, half of the Oh Hello show that Nick Kroll and Mulaney does on Broadway is literally about them wanting to do a play where they could cough into a handkerchief and show the blood. <laughs> they were literally like, that's what theater is. So... It's lavish and it's remarkable, but I'm just like that's not, not for you. It's like that, really. Yeah. That, yeah. Why are we doing that? What's your what's L- like Lithgow Fucking cleared the lane out. But of him? you know, like, he, it's he like psyched. if they
1: spend or not. Even, it's not even about the budget, but like I think the Young Pope is another example of that, where it's just like such deep immersion into a world, yes. and you can choose to walk into it, you can choose to stay out of it.
0: But the Young Pope, the world that we're being immersed in, isn't necessarily the history of the Vatican. It's Paolo Sorrentino's. Um, amusement box like it's his brain sure and that's a more curious creative place to spend time i think um you know i, I, I just it, it, this is yeah this 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 is this is my so if 99, we've f- 99 of this conversation, argument.
1: is that i am a little bit more you know i'm a little bit more liberal with my like what i think people should be allowed to watch and you're a little bit more of an autocrat
0: i don't think they should be able to watch it yeah <laughs> no it's, it's wonderful that, that that it's out there i i feel i'm glad that i checked it out because I'm glad I learned so much during this segment you had no who did you think was Queen of England right? I now? hadn't really
1: given it that much I thought they were all named Elizabeth so I just wasn't sure which one <laughs>
0: you thought every Queen of England was no, named Elizabeth I, like Pope I'm making myself sound like an idiot but <laughs> I just it. thought
1: that there was like 40 Elizabeths this is Elizabeth II Right. There's only been two. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I also sometimes thought that their names changed, like when they became queen, like the popes, like where it was like,
0: oh, like they like, were
1: named like Susie and then they became Catherine. Like,
0: like King Pius XIII. <laughs> yeah, right. Like the way your name was originally Terence, and then you were like, nah, I'm going to be when Chris. I, when I
1: become the podcast priest.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's a lavish, well-made spectacle that I would prefer not to spectacle anymore
1: okay we're gonna take a quick break from our sponsors and then when we come back ringer television critic alison herman's gonna join us and talk to us about a couple of shows that we haven't uh kept up with mm-hmm. Hey guys, just want to tell you a little bit about Simply Safe. I, I think we can all agree that keeping our home safe is an extremely high priority, but it shouldn't come at the expense of signing your life away on some like confusing long-term contract. Thankfully, there's a smarter way to protect your home: Simply Safe Home Security. These are guys I trust. With Simply Safe, there is no annual contracts and there is no middlemen. You get superior protection for less than half of what traditional companies charge. Built by a Harvard-educated engineer to make you safer, Simply Safe provides professional monitoring with police dispatch so your home is safe around the clock. Plus, it's wireless and portable with a cellular connection built in so there are no lines that can be cut by potential intruders. Best of all, with Simply Safe 24-7 protection it's just $15 bucks a month, almost a third of what most places charge. It's unbeatable protection, a great value, and there are no contracts. So protect your home the smart way. Visit SimpliSafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash ringer to get 10% off your system them today. Go now. That's simplysafe.com slash ringer. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Books. Have you ever ordered flowers online before? It's not like a really satisfying experience. You're lured in by an advertised price of $19.99, but when all is said and done, you end up paying closer to like $75 for half-wilted arrangements that look nothing like the picture. Luckily, Books.com offers a better way. Farm fresh flowers with fully transparent pricing. No endless upsells, no gimmicks, no hidden fees. With Books, what you see is what you get. Sourced from sustainable, eco-friendly farms, Located of all places along the volcanoes of Ecuador, hills of Colombia, and the California coast, these are the best quality flowers you can get. Plus, Books flowers aren't cut until you order them, so they can last up to two weeks and your dollar goes further. Books delivers to all 50 states and even offers free delivery on weekdays when you register at Books.com. And if you need something last minute, Books offers next day and same day delivery on select products. Best of all, you can be a hero this Valentine's Day and save 20% when you order early on Books.com. Their flowers will sell out for Valentine's Day, so don't wait. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com, and use code WATCH for 20% off. Okay, we are joined now by The Ringers' Allison Herman. What's up, Allison?
2: Hey, how's it going? It's going
1: well. We're here to talk a little bit about a few shows that Annie and I have either neglected to watch or talk about that we should check out, or a show that we haven't talked about yet, but we are all very excited about. Yes. So let's start with that mm-hmm. one. That's Riverdale. The I can't C- believe that sent just came just out C-dubs. of my mouth. On the C-dubs. C-dubs. Um, tell me a little bit about what Riverdale is, just for listeners who don't know.
2: Uh, well, I don't think I could describe it any better than the CW president did at the TCA's, which is that it is uh, Twin Peaks meets the OC. <laughs> it is every bit as bonkers as that sounds. It totally works, though. I'm really excited about it. It's probably next to The Young Pope like the show I'm most excited about you in are in a safe space <laughs> <And> <laughs> in a
0: yeah. room. Seriously, you really are playing I, to your base but I think the other thing that no one mentioned is that this is a weird hot Archie show
1: yeah so yeah. it's a it's a gritty take on the Archie legend
0: <laughs> and the, oh, the ahead, Archie and legend and very <laughs> self
2: aware about being that uh, the first thing that we hear about Archie is Archie got hot
0: yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, let, can I can I just put cards on the table here? <laughs> sure. I'm an Archie head.
1: <laughs> I, I know. I've this this would have worked better if I hadn't just pretend, like not known who Queen Elizabeth yes. was.
0: But yes, you're an Archie head. I spent much of my childhood just reading Archie Digest. What's the appeal? Uh, it was very soothing. Okay. Like, well, two things. Like, I, Allison, were you an Archie fan? Did you read Archie comics?
2: I read like a handful in the grocery aisle when I was growing up, but I kind of got more into it after the reboot, which I'm sure we will talk about.
0: I can't wait to talk about it. Like, My my grandfather gave me an Archie comic when I was a little kid, and I was like, this is just, it's it's like medium funny, mm-hmm. and it's always the same. And so it was like very, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I was, uh, you know, I, my childhood wasn't Jack Lemmon and Glengarry Glen Ross. I didn't constantly need to <laughs> like reach for the coffee pot slash- Back issue of pep but the, the comics are like really funny and medium funny and always the same and then it was also interesting to see the way they changed era to era because there would be an era where Archie was suddenly very politically conscious or an era where the stories were a lot more um, like serialized and dramatic and then they would revert and they would revert and then he would be, have computers and then right. he would have video games and it would always kind of be the same um, and then about two or three years ago uh a new publisher took over the line that was sort of stagnating and was like, let's, let's push things forward. Let's try to make this interesting again and find something that is appealing and not just constantly – let's not just sell sameness as our brand anymore.
2: Yeah. And Riverdale is kind of part of that reboot. So the creator of the show is this guy Roberto aguirre who I talked to a little bit before but um, Has he done other TV
1: stuff before? He done yeah. Other he, shows? So he's
2: worked in TV he's done Looking, Glee Big Love. So he's definitely you know experienced in that band but he was also the creative chief creative officer of Archie Comics. Huh. So in conjunction with, uh, with them planning this reboot they also were like okay let's try to get some on-screen adaptations going. So I I think they developed a movie, which is how um, he worked with Sarah Schechter, who's Greg Berlanti's uh, producing partner mm-hmm. on that. And so when it came time to write a pilot and try to figure out how to do this, that was when they connected with Greg Berlanti. And
1: Berlanti is like oversees all the DC stuff on CW right now. Yeah, he, he
0: has more shows on TV than just about anyone else. That's he, yeah. He's got a remarkable factory.
1: Um, what do you think it is? So you this this show has this very difficult to hit mix of Playfulness and darkness, which is like you know you, mm-hmm. you can always like you're always on the line there, and I think it's I think you you sort of mentioned this, but it's self awareness is probably what makes it successful in both.
2: I also wouldn't even call it dark. It's like dark in quotation marks. Yeah. It's using it's very much using this as like an aesthetic that it's playing with, as opposed to actually believing that Archie is. Should organically be as sexy as this Archie <laughs> right. is.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the thing that um, the new sort of new Archie across all mediums has done, and help me, what's his name, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. Sacasa, yeah, uh, has. Proven in really remarkable way is that these characters and the setting are timeless and kind of mutable, almost like dare I say it, Shakespearean right. plays. In that you can put them in any context and they work because the relationships are so basic and established. Um, so he has this this ongoing series that I really recommend to anyone called Afterlife with Archie, which is Archie as a zombie horror sh- storyline, and it's actually kind of amazing. Um, and then they've also done things like uh, the, the veteran comic writer Mark Wade rebooted Archie itself, uh-huh. and it's super entertaining and great and there are some collected volumes but I think the key to this was basically being like this doesn't have to be all of the Archie this is just we're going to do it this way and see how it works and the line you were talking about Chris I feel like that's not the only line it walks it also walks very gingerly along a line of winking and being in that you can't make one of these shows that's making fun of these shows. You actually have to have some genuine emotion. You have to have buy into these people as emotional human beings on some level. Yeah, and, and if it fits in
2: totally organically with the CW, and that yeah. at a certain level, it totally works as a teen drama. You could just watch it and make team Betty and team Veronica T-shirts and be like, Archie should end up with X or Y, and you can totally enjoy it on that level. Or you can kind of be like, oh, it's sort of reconsidering the love triangle. These women are actually believably friends. Yeah, right.
0: So, of course. Well, because well, isn't it also worth noting that like. Dawson since Creek are these shows that we point to as the original um, team te- soap opera CW team yeah. soap operas. That was Archie, Betty, and Veronica too. Sure. I mean they all come mm-hmm. down to these sort of love so triangles. So was 9
1: and yes. Yeah.
0: And Luke Perry's on this show, and but...
1: Matt from Twin Peaks is on, on yeah.
0: the show as well. <laughs> but I think I think Alison, um, what you said it was was my favorite thing about the Riverdale pilot. I've only seen the pilot, but mm-hmm. they they did the work to make Betty and Veronica. Uh, Friends, because that that dynamic has always been difficult. We're talking about Archie, Uh, (laughs) but they have to be friends and rivals and frenemies and opposites. Mm -hmm. But thanks to Lily Reinhardt and Camila Mendes, who especially I think is just amazing in the show, that sort of is the backbone of it.
2: Totally, and they also introduce a third Archie relationship, which was one of my favorite twists. Which is that Miss Grundy is now a sexpot teacher. Yeah,
1: I, that is like one. That is like one heat check for me. Is like when yeah. I was just like the Miss Grundy character. Yeah, well, they,
0: their name is still Geraldine Grundy. Yeah, and she's she's the she, she's the music teacher in the comics too. No, she's every teacher. Okay, like they have their. Don't don't make me say Professor Flute Snoot on a podcast. <laughs> just did. But uh, the teachers are they teach what they need to teach? Yeah,
2: basically. And the show is totally not straight-faced about making a character named Geraldine Grundy a sexy librarian cartoon. Right. It's, yeah.
0: The, the one thing that I thought was interesting about it is that, um, first of all, they found in this KJ Apa, who's the lead, they found a guy who can have his hair colored that color and still look like the iconic character, but then also like just be a hot guy in the world. They sort of steered into the fact that Archie is essentially a blank slate, right? And I don't know if that's performance, if this guy can act or not. but Because he is, by a 100 miles, the least interesting thing in the show. But maybe that's intentional.
2: That's a common criticism I've seen of the show, that, you know, Archie isn't quite enough of a character to carry it. And I don't even know if he's ever been enough of a character to truly carry the comics. I just saw it as them really leading into that and being like, you're here to see Betty and Veronica and the teacher and Josie and the Pussycats. Who are also present in this?
0: I think the one potential pitfall is is that though that like the the one of the keys to the character that makes it work is that he's just he's he means well he's like the the, the all American good old boy but he's always fucking up like he's always burning down Veronica's house or whatever. <laughs> this guy is just he's just burning on the inside. Right, he's brooding.
1: What do you think of how they? I mean, I've only seen the pilot too. The second episode airs tonight, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think of how they handle like the the murder mystery stuff? I think actually was really effective because if it's if there's not even if they're even if that is basically a and I, I love the like the jughead narration of him writing his novel crime like, yeah, <laughs> relaxed but um he then the the murder mystery element of it actually is is quite like gripping like i was like this is pretty intriguing like i it, there's only so many permutations of who could have done this but i thought it was a pretty effective framing device
2: it's totally engaging it also has the sort of most overtly lynchian stuff of like the twins and the white gloves yeah. with the very heavily implied incest <laughs> yeah. and (laughs) I also really enjoyed that uh, the dead girl show is kind of this pretty established trope by now of the kickoff of all these things Mm -hmm. starting with Twin Peaks is a teen girl who's vulnerable but also is hiding all kinds of secrets. uh, She dies and that rips the bandaid off. And it was such a subtle but very simple twist to have it be like the high school quarterback.
0: Yeah. So Allison, put this in context for us. Like where does this fit into the CW shows and also just in terms of I think TV is better when there is a good teen soap opera on it. I say this as someone who will definitely watch the first six episodes of this and then forget to keep watching it as it goes into its fourth, fifth, and sixth season and, you know, Dilton is hooking up with moose or whatever. Uh, Where does this fit into that grand tradition of it?
2: I think the CW is actually at a really interesting place right now. So there are two shows that are Golden Globe nominated and really acclaimed, which are Jane the Virgin and Crazy Mm -hmm. Ex-Girlfriend. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is one of my favorite shows on television. It's finale yeah. 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 Um, So those are kind of the getting critical attention, helping rebrand the network, not getting great ratings, but they're going to be on for a while. And then there's the comic book shows, which are these sort of popular – I really like them because they're low stakes, they're reliably mm-hmm. entertaining, they're kind of what you want good weeknight television to be. And I, one of the things I like about Riverdale is that it's kind of a, a bridge between the two. It's a comic book show produced by Greg Berlanti, but it's also meta and clever in these ways that we kind of associate with the new CW. Mm-hmm. And obviously it start, the network started as an outgrowth of the WB and inherited all these teen dramas. Yeah. And now it's kind of going back to that while also s- synthesizing its current identities I'm a really big fan of this show for a lot of reasons.
1: The funny thing about some of the, I mean, the, what little of Arrow and, and, um, what's the other one? Flash. 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 And, and, and Supergirl that I've seen. And then obviously with Riverdale, um, is I can't shake the feeling like this is, um, the, the like, it's, it's the Buffy. It's all the, like, Buffy and Firefly or Serenity was the show version of Firefly. Fire Fire. Fire, it's it's the like movie. Buffy and Firefly finally, like, leveling out and actually finding its audience. You know what I mean? Like, rather than those shows coming back in any Mm -hmm. way, like, the tone of those shows, the, like, very, like, snappy dialogue, Mm -hmm. the, like, kind of uh, raised emotional stakes in every episode, and then uh, a real, like, um, self-awareness that it's, like, taking part in some sort of genre is, like very obvious and it's, it's almost funny I almost wonder if it's bittersweet for people who are really big fans of Buffy and Firefly to like watch these shows be relatively successful and at least breed like multiple iterations of each other uh, now you know what I mean
2: yeah and the pop culture dialogue is also a great part of it. Really, there's a, a season 5 Betty Draper Truman Capote like just yeah. in the pilot and yeah. it's got that kind of these teens don't really talk like teens but they're also not really yeah. supposed they to they talk more like
1: oh no they didn't yeah <laughs> so they're, they're
0: 15 they're, yeah. so they're like just sophomore that's like, in heavier quotes yeah Yeah. the biggest thing going forward for us is that I think Chris is team Betty and I'm team Veronica
1: I I said this to Allison yesterday and she was like you know what you don't have to
0: choose wow that's beautiful <laughs> that's great because you have you have, is, you have balanced the triangle of this podcast it is so Betty right. and Veronica
2: for the time of squad goals there you go that's why I like it there you <laughs> go that's
0: really well said
2: alright
1: alright let's talk a little bit about why don't we talk about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because you mentioned that and then there's other shows uh, another show you wanted to mention that it's just stuff that's been out there but we haven't really gotten a chance to talk about so Crazy Ex-Girlfriend I remember watching a couple of episodes when it first came on and just I, the limit of my interest in musicals kind of was my block for it Um, but they're still, they're still like, they're still singing. They're still singing. So how's it going?
2: It's going really well. Um, so it's transitioned to second season, just got renewed for the third. I think it's one of the best shows on television, I think, in terms of really, Understanding the character's motivations and why I think the musical part works is if you described the themes of this show and the themes project on paper, you're like, that's way too abstract to center a show around. Yeah. It's a show about the myth of romance and the stories we tell about our relationships with other people and how they don't match up to our societally enforced ideals. Just all these incredibly like psychology one-on-one Yeah. Things, But because you have the musicals to put this into song and to kind of break reality and be like, here's just a pure look into these characters' mental states, it totally works and furthers the themes of the show as opposed to feeling like a distraction from them, which I think musicals can be when they're not well executed. And the show is really... Continuing to hold that at a really impressive level of consistency. Yeah. So this season was the first where they decided instead of doing a conventional 22 episode network style order they were going to make 13 which when you're trying to do two to three like full length songs yeah. per episode is really helpful. For sure. Um, but yeah, I saw, I actually went to a screening of the finale on Tuesday and the co-creator Lene Bush McKenna who is the screenwriter behind Devil Wears Prada and a bunch of other mm-hmm. stuff uh did a Q and a afterwards. And I'm always just so impressed by the way they're able to be like, Oh yeah, this character has daddy issues. And so that's a fe-. And they're a total side character and that's never actually come up in the show, but they're so smart about how these people's uh, psychoses kind of affect their entire relationship. And it's a show about very low stakes. It's about a woman trying to be happy and trying to know herself. And it's able to imbue that with some real, I'm very heartened
0: by what you said about them doing a shortened season, which I hadn't realized. Because yeah. my, my my roadblock for, for some of these shows, just to use Jane the Virgin as an example, when Jane of the Virgin debuted, uh, I was late on it. I came back to it in time to have watched the first six or eight, wrote about it um, for Grandland and was blown away by it. I thought it was so impressive. It was so fun. Um, it was so entertaining and and, and bright in all senses and then they just keep making more of them <laughs> yeah. you know and I, and, I, and that is how TV has always been made that's how many people still love to watch TV yeah Um, I couldn't keep up and then it just piles up and then you're you're not watching Jane the Virgin anymore
2: I mean Jane the Virgin also just has so much plot that you can it's, probably just drop in at any moment right. but I think one of the things that kind of works as a knock against it is one of the most insanely impressive things about Jane the Virgin is this show should have jumped the shark on like the fourth episode and it's in the middle of its third season and it is still maintaining this total plot churn. And
0: spoiler alert, not a virgin anymore, right? No. Uh, I mean, they also Change have great, your name, show. They have <laughs> a great visual gag where yeah.
2: uh, when they have the title card yeah. and then they scratch it out every week or do something clever to it. See? But, yeah, uh, exactly. They should put, like, like, the Monty
0: Python foot should come down on virgin, right? I
2: think we're like two episodes away from that <laughs> happening. Uh, but... Consistency isn't necessarily something that's valued as much in TV anymore, and Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the most, uh, like, acclaim-worthy things about it is that it's still holding this premise and doing all these characters justice and making it realistic but also fun and zany and it's just hard to to call that out and be like, oh yeah, this like mid third season dramedy is still really good. Keep checking it out. So
1: I wanted to, my my question about the Jane the Virgin and, and uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is sort of related to the Buffy, well, Buffy was on for a long time and has like
0: tons you, of fans. You just want to talk about Buffy. No,
1: but I want to know whether or not these are the shows that will go on for six seasons or are they the first start of something and then someone will do the like more mainstream, like the more mainstream version of it Afterwards, like, are these the punk rock, and then somebody's gonna do new wave, or is this? Or do you think that these shows could actually find an audience and keep going for four or five seasons? I
2: mean, I am shocked that Craziest Girlfriend got renewed for the third right. season. Which is basically,
1: is... And the CW president was just like, I, we, we're doing this because it's a good show for us to have in the air. It has nothing to do with the money.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's an example of something where a Golden gone. Globe yeah. saved a show. Yeah. Basically. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, she gave a speech at the Critics Awards that was like, you guys are literally the reason the show still exists. And um, it is literally the lowest rated scripted show on the five major networks, which they also like put it in the Friday night slot. Sure. I think part of, partially to, like, mitigate the damage and be like, this will just continue to get acclaim in its right. Netflix audience. And also, they have a sort of deal with Netflix where I think the whole second season is going up, like, a week after the finale. They've been really
0: at the forefront of that, of changing the distribution model. They put their stuff up in bulk early, and you can get it faster than almost any other network.
2: Which is super smart, and I've heard Rachel Bloom and Aline Bershman kind of say, like, we noticed a bump when it hit Netflix. Like, there's a second life to this show, so I think the economics of TV actually might have changed just enough that mm-hmm. I've heard they have sort of a four-season plan for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, mm-hmm. and it seems sort of likely that that might happen. I think Jane the Virgin actually has a little more of, like, a popular yeah. audience. But I, I, it's really heartening that I think we might actually have gotten to a moment that these shows will survive.
0: But we're also in a—yeah, we're in a moment where the punk rock can stay punk rock, and the numbers you can sell— at a punk rock level yeah as uh, long as
1: it's like at a I mean I think that that we're, was we're, sort we're, of the concern with the good place right was that it was a little expensive to be punk rock
0: right but it's but they but looked it's, at, it's been renewed it's been but, renewed yeah. because they also looked at their numbers and if you're looking if they're being realistic which they appear to be with their numbers it was 60% better rated across like the live plus 3 plus 7 than anything else they had on Thursday nights before that um but also, it wouldn't surprise me, like like Allison was saying about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, is that when they had the meeting with Mike Schur to, to pitch out season two, they probably said, so is it three? Is it four? What is it?
1: Like how many seasons, how many seasons is yeah, this going right. to
0: be? Because then they know what they're going to invest in and they wink, wink and... You know, if next season goes well, my guess is we'll go through the same thing again. Oh, will there be a third season? It's decided, probably.
1: You mentioned Netflix, so let's talk a little bit about a show that, in the mailbag, a bunch of people were like, you guys got to talk about Lemmy Snicket, and Andy and I were just like, are those words?
2: It's time for me to millennial explain you guys.
1: You're our special millennial correspondent, Millennial Falcon.
2: So I was in the Target demo that you guys identified. I actually was not super into the books. I read the first couple when I was a kid. I think I was too young to get the sort of dark comic tone that they were going for, and I just thought it was too depressing and scary.
1: I'm not joking. Can I? Can you just give me like tell me what this is about? It's
2: about three orphans: (laughs) okay, uh, girl, boy, baby their parents die tragically in a fire and then they go to this evil guardian named Count Olaf and the whole sh- series is like Count Olaf scheming to get their fortune and uh, they're in these incredibly like macabre and elaborate scenarios and they pass like, between a bunch of when guardians. Is it set? It's kind of this it's not really set in a time period it's not on
1: Taboo Island yeah
2: it, it definitely uses sort of like Victorian tropes okay. but I especially the TV show they will like passively mention some modern technology it, and it okay. was written
0: the series ri- was written by Daniel Handler who I think uh, as a side gig like played mandolin for the magnetic fields like he's like down with Stephen seriously? Merritt seriously yep. yeah he, I, I, the mandolin is more of a projection but something the like that mandolin
1: plays a major role in magnetic field songs though. yeah so
0: I think maybe he wasn't quite up for that but he did collaborate with Stephen Merritt a lot and okay. he's part of that world so there's a lot of like, the only, I knew about it because it did have like indie cred. Like there, were, he was a he was a novelist, downtown novelist, and like in the music scene, and then made this play, and then all of a sudden became like a multimillionaire from it because it took off. It was definitely coming from a a a more um, idiosyncratic sensibility. Gotcha.
1: Okay. So what is so? How do you feel about the show itself?
2: I really like the show. I think it's really clever. I also. Uh Definitely marginal note, but for Netflix, the episodes are around 45 minutes. Ooh, now I'm listening. Yes. Ears perk up. That's nice. Um, I love
0: love a short episode.
2: I think it is one of those... It's one of the series that it hints at this aesthetic and it feels so fully realized. And also, it's actually... So there was a movie adaptation about 10 years ago where Jim Carrey played the Count Olaf character. And I think Handler was attached to write the script and Barry Sonnenfeld was attached to direct. And then that fell apart and went to some other people. But now Handler's directly involved in the show and Barry Sonnenfeld is, I think, the showrunner. Right. So it's got kind of this cred of being associated with the creator and also these people really care about it and they've been attached to this. Barry Sonnenfeld has been attached to this for like a decade. He's like,
1: what a weird career. Because he started out as the Coen Brothers director of photography he yeah. did like Miller's Crossing Blood Simple and then Adam's
0: Family he does Men in Black the first one I think he does Men in Black and he does Adam's Family too right did he do yeah Ball and West? he was an EP was on
2: Pushing Daisies pushing da- so he's and, more and then, then he, he was a, a tech
0: columnist for like Esquire where he no. talks about his wife named what? Sweetie yeah <laughs> really? like he, he, I mean I think when <laughs> he, you when he said that it was just like and then he was a no it's just weird. it was weird it was like a dude who's like made so much money making these movies probably and then like can't make more movies because he costs too much to make them like he need get removed from from unfortunate events, so like it was either Esquire, or GQ. He'd just be like, "I'm gonna buy the Pono player and a Roku and also <laughs> a ten thousand dollar laptop." And I'm sure that he was just buying them anyway. Oh,
1: you he know what? He's been busy. Them. He did well. Wow, that was the, he did get Shorty, but he also did Wild Wild West, he did Wild Wild West, and yeah. my, Men in Black Two, and this movie about a cat called Nine Lives, which I didn't see. Well, Wild Wild West. Oh was my kind God, of he did the Kevin point.
2: Spacey cat movie.
1: He directed that, or, or he's just involved. Or isn't in that
2: what involved. Nine Lives is?
0: Is
1: that what that is? Is that Kevin Spacey? Yes, it is. Jennifer Garner. I mean, Dang, By the way, if lived. you do
0: if you do, Adam's Family, uh, Get Shorty, and uh, Men in Black, you, you're good. You're allowed to make Nine Lives? You're fine. You can make a cat movie with Kevin Spacey. <laughs> well,
2: and now he's made this, which I think yeah. it's not up to that level of Adam's Family level quite, but it's really... Is it Nine Lives level? It's
0: Ooh. <laughs> several, several tiers above.
2: Okay. Um, but... Neil Patrick Harris is sort of the central performance he plays Count Olaf I think Neil Patrick Harris should play more villains between this and Gone Girl and Dr. Horrible
0: he was pretty much a villain on How I Met Your Mother too in a way he He was was, the foil he was a villain when he hosted the Oscars
2: exactly (laughs) Um, so he really works the kids really work it's got this really macabre aesthetic that I really enjoy and it's kind of this self mocking like the whole theme song is look away look away this is so dark which it's part of the books, but I think when it's transposed into a new medium, kind of became this like inadvertent commentary on like how unrelentingly dark certain prestige dramas are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's clever. It has a huge roster of guest actors, Osif Monvi, Alfrey Woodard. Okay. Yeah. So,
0: so so sell me on the experience. What am I <sighs> put me, what's my headspace? I want to sit down, what am and I I'm, I'm gonna fire it up. What am I looking for when I'm ready to watch the show? Like, what's the night that I fire this up? Is it a night where I want a comedy? Is it a night where I want to try something new? Is it a night when I want to hear Mandolin and see Asif Manvi? Yeah. What's All my... of the above. Okay. I think
2: it's principally a comedy. Okay. Um, it kind of uses sort of similar to Riverdale, how it uses this as like an aesthetic. It's not actually dark. It's kind of using darkness as like a vehicle to make fun of darkness is, and be is, funny. Is
0: Count Olaf hot now? <laughs>
2: No. He's buried under many prosthetics. But
0: the six pack is implied.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: He's been pouring concrete for, for Dylan. Yeah. For all
0: summer long.
1: Um, okay. Awesome. So we will have Allison on again shortly, but pretty regularly to talk about shows that we've missed. Um, is there something coming out in the next couple of weeks that you're particularly excited for that you want to let our listeners know about?
2: Well, in the Pushing Daisies vein, actually, uh, Netflix's next show is Santa Clarita Diet, right. a.k.a. Drew Barrymore zombie show. Yeah. I really enjoy it. Uh, it's definitely, you know, if you are into X, Y, and Z show, you will be into this. It's probably, I don't think it's going to be like the show everyone talks about, right. but it's fun. Uh, Timothy Oliphant should do a John Hamm style all in on comedy. This has convinced me. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy it.
1: Okay. Uh, we'll be back Monday. I know that we will talk a little bit of probably about like whatever pop cultural ephemera happens around the Super Bowl, but I hope we talk about 24 Legacy.
0: Yeah, that's Super Bowl. <laughs> That's the, coming on after the Super That's Bowl, That's the right? show after yeah, the Super Bowl. so we'll Bowl. talk about that for sure. It's got sure. the
1: homicide life on the street slot. You excited? Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about some other stuff. You can check out the watch list. Thank you to Allison Herman for joining us. Thank you for having me. And we'll talk to you Monday. Good job, Brandskeep.